All right, it is lawyer talk off the record on the air here again. In the studio, uh, we are adding a, uh, a a guest here this morning. We're going to do a little special show. It's good to be special. Good to be special. We have the ex-checker at the station. Check one, two. Jay Simon. So the ex-checker, it's sort of an interesting addition to the whole thing. You know, he's really a scientist. Or maybe he's an ex-checker masquerading as a scientist. There you go. I like that. But, uh... Yeah, he's over there uh, running the show, running the uh, recording equipment, and giving us facts. So he's ex-checking the facts as we go. We have Glenn Harper from Harper Plus Accounting here. We're going to talk about all things, well, maybe not all. We're going to talk about a little bit of accounting issues, maybe some PPP stuff, maybe some... Wherever we go. Wherever we go, we will go. Jared is on the way. He got the message late, but he will be here. The beard at court, but the show must go on. Lawyer talk always goes on. This is a... Uh, independent show. We've done a lot of these, obviously, with the Blitz, but you know, today we'll just do a regular one. Um, so, what's, well, while while we're waiting on Jared, we'll just start here with uh, Glenn Harper. Uh, how, what's I think you first walked into my office in what somewhere around circa 1995, 96. When did maybe, you get out of law school? 95. Okay, so I was with your partner probably what two years prior to that. Yeah, probably a year, six months prior to that, yeah. and I came along. And we met at uh, fresh out of your law school. Yep, yeah. Take on the world is great. Yeah, I was still solo. It was before Yavich yep. and I partnered up. I was still solo. We met, and uh, well, there he is, right here at Harper what Plus. A funny looking guy that guy is. HarperCPAPlus.com. Yep, HarperCPAPlus.com. We'll get some. We'll get your bio out too. But uh, and then you know we've sort of your business was starting out as mine was, and uh, here we are. What is that twenty? Five years, twenty six years later, isn't that crazy? I started this and I started doing this in eighty nine. Now you've aged a little bit. I can't say the same for me. Well, I've been <laughs> I've been staying in the sun a lot, trying to look a little more sophisticated. You want to look a little leather? color my hair gray? Yeah, a little more look, leathery. Look, look like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Get that vitamin D. Oh yeah, you got to have it for your immune this system, morning. people. Yeah, yeah. So you know we've uh, you've helped many many a folk. I've sent your way, developed their small businesses. Your practice is mostly business. It's you're not fifty fifty. Yeah, I mean, so when you say fifty, what's so what's the first fifty? So fifty is the entrepreneurial type folks, you know, the one to five owners yeah. companies, and that's pretty much about half of it. And then the other half are people that have just complicated situations with their taxes. They may not be business owners, but they work for a company and they have just lots of stuff. You mean? Uh, well, like what stuff? Like, like, it's they, like they, if I'm sitting at home and I'm I'm looking at my tax return, when do I know I can't do it? Um, probably right away. But <laughs> but if you're so, if you're trying to do your own tax return, yeah. you're probably screwing up. Correct. If you're getting uh, K ones from investments you're in, if you're getting some 1099s from your brokerage accounts. K one, isn't that a mountain? Uh, that's maybe K two, K three. I got lots of twos yeah. and threes. I don't have any ones. <laughs> it's like a W two from for a business owner. You get that, and so you might be a passive investor somewhere. You might have. Um, you might be both spouses are working, your withholdings all jacked up. You might get some stock options. You got investment accounts. Those are the kind of things. Rental properties don't necessarily mean you're in a, you're a business owner. It just means you have pieces of things that cause you some distress. And you know what happens though? This, I'll speak. I'll speak my own. I'll speak for myself here. Is that incrementally people tend to just add stuff to their their tax plate without even, I mean, you don't even think about it. It's don't like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll be an investor there. Yeah. I'm on the board over there yeah, or I'll buy that. Yeah. That's a good opportunity. I'll get a little rental property or a piece of it. And then you get something in the mail and all of a sudden you're like, what the 
What yeah, do I do with this? this? We call it the, uh, the the cycle. You know, you come out of college, your parents are probably having their your tax return done by their tax person, and then you get your first job, and then next thing you know, you're getting married, kids, investments, couple jobs, couple of businesses, maybe a couple of rental properties, and you got to plan for retirement. Then all of a sudden, kids are going to college, and then you're out, and now you're on fixed income perhaps when you retire. So that whole cycle, it's just nice to have somebody walk you through that. For all those years, yeah, but there's. I'm already hearing something that it's 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 already a fallacy that's developing in my brain. It sort of sounds like these are for the special people, like you're for the special people, like the uh, like the like somehow the elite business folks. But no, no, no. What's your take? I mean, I mean, look, who's the average op? Uh, what do you call it? Opportun- entrepreneur. Entrepreneur is the big key word. Yeah, I mean, who is that guy? That'd be you, Steve. Or that guy. <laughs> that's you. These are the. Insane people like myself and you that decide that they don't like they're working for for somebody and they decide that they think they can do it better and they want to do it their way. So they separate and they go on their own and say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to hang up my shingle and do it. That person, that's, you know, most of our clients are like that where they, they just don't fit in anywhere. They can't like do a real job because they don't like to be told what to do. So they would rather give up the 40, 50 hour a week job to go work 300 hours a week running their own business. And they yeah. love it. They love it. I don't mind being told what to do. I just never listen. Correct. Yeah, you can tell me all day long. I just never, it's more like this. I think I was completely, utterly, and totally incapable. Now, I don't want to say completely, utterly, and totally, but it didn't, yeah, maybe I should. I'm just not very capable of working for somebody else. I just, it was never a, um, Maybe it's my ADHD or whatever the heck. It is. It's like showing up and, and, and being pigeonholed into a... Well, what happens are certain companies that will have you work for them and certain companies that have you work with them. And if you work with a company, like you're a part of it and you feel like you're a part of it, that's a good place to be because then you can you know where you stand, you know what you have to do, you have a little security there, um, and that's okay. But when you are working for somebody they don't really respect what you do and how you do it. And you're, you're a tool for them. So when you can't get that changed, you realize in your mind that that's the culture you want. You want to work with some people and you want to build your team and do things that way. That's when the metamorphosis happens. I don't even know if I ever had that. You had it. I, I, you know what it was though? I I just knew I I, I, recently I did this. I, I ran through my brain, the opportunities that were right in front of me the day I finished law school to go work for in various areas. One would have been um, a federal clerkship. Now, if you know anything about the legal, like I didn't know at the time what right. that meant, but apparently that's a big deal now. I, well, right. I, not even apparently, it is a big deal. People you, like that, yeah. You get a federal clerkship, you really write your ticket after that on what you want to do. A lot of federal clerks become federal judges, they go to the big firms, they become uh, pretty influential. But uh, that was there. I had that. I wouldn't, don't want to say it's a shoe in, but I had the, I had the handshake and, had and the, the opportunity. I had a job offer at a fairly, uh, you know, a, a very well-respected law firm here in Columbus. I'm not going to mention it. Uh, and I had different opportunities to go to like, uh, the government area or whatever. And I thought, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rent this office from Bill Meeks, and I don't even know really know what my rent is. I'll just agree to work a little bit and pay my rent that way, and and then I'll just I'll just I'll just do that. And you know, day one, I was like, all right, yeah, I got it. I got my office. I had a rental desk, and then day two, I still got my office, a rental <laughs> desk. I had a little, I had like a Hewlett Packard 
uh, all in one little PC thing. And you probably build it in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, it's like my buddy gave it to me as his hand me down. Yep. And then day three, and then I, about day five, six, seven, you realize, wait a minute, I don't have any money. There's no income. <laughs> <laughs> That's a technicality. It's nobody, no cash nobody, flow. It's not about <laughs> the money. <laughs> it's like, and then you start to get this. It's like my favorite thing among those who don't run businesses is always this: like, well, you can write that off. And I hear people say, "Oh, I can, you can." Yeah, I'm sure that's awesome for you. That's a write-off. And I was like, "Listen, dude, you got to have income. <laughs> you got to have money to write something <laughs> write off. off against. <laughs> like, maybe you just can't make that up." So when people say, "I mean, what do they mean when they say write it off?" I mean, give us the easy explanation of that. Well, they just think that magically you don't pay tax because you run a business and everything you do, you quote write off, so the government subsidizes it, which is yeah. absolutely false, but that's what they believe. I got to ask you that. And I yeah. just, you know, what's interesting. I just heard that, uh, some, one of the, probably the U S attorney out of New York, I don't know who's investigating old Donald Trump, but they just obtained his tax returns. What do you think of that? You listen, the legal process does what it does. Um, I don't know the context of what they want, you know, do not, uh, like politically motivated witch hunts on things. However, if up the appropriate agency has the authority to ask for something, you got to turn that kind of stuff over. But I don't know what that authority is. I don't know who wants it or why. Well, let me, but, I mean, what if somebody wants like, hey, all right, Mr. Hart, well, we want the exchequer's tax returns. Can I get that? If I just say, can give it to me or if, if some agency? No, generally not. I, I don't have to do anything unless I have some sort of court order that, or if fact checker says, hey, send me my returns, I can send them all day long. Or can you send them on behalf to somebody else? We can do that. But no third party can come in and ask me to give them something. We're like, uh, no, we don't, we don't even know that fact checker. Who is that guy? So if you were, if you were like, if you were put on the spot, like right now mm -hmm. and, and we're wondering if I asked you, what do you think they're looking for in Donald Trump's tax returns? Uh, well, <laughs> I think, uh, if they're going to look at Donald Trump's tax returns, they should look at every billionaire's tax returns or alleged billionaire and say, what is it that they're doing? Because I, I don't comprehend what they're really wanting to see. I mean, if they're trying to How about to find Congress? Can we, can we look at their tax returns? Yeah. 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 And so that's the thing. Usually, uh, you know, somebody's tax returns will come up into play like through a divorce or separation, a partnership split or something to try to prove something or disprove something. So I'm not sure if the IRS has a problem with his tax returns, the IRS would deal with that. Again, it, it's all the context of somebody coming after your tax return or trying to prove or disprove something that you reported to try to prove it. Like illegal deduction, well, that's an IRS problem. But if you're trying to corroborate with somebody who said something or didn't say something, you could generally, the tax return is where it's, quote, been officially signed off that this is what we did with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, don't know who's looking for what or why, but I think they're trying to find these payments or overstating some values that his attorney said he was doing, but, or as, a, as, a, as a, his CPA was saying he was doing. But again, it's all hearsay at this point because we don't know. I yeah. mean, they, he said he was under continuous audit for the last, you know, five years, which, you know, that sounds about right if you're... My God, he must be the cleanest guy out there. Well, you would think. Well... Do you think any of those people in Congress could have withstood five years of no, audit? No, no. Um, yeah. no, nobody likes an audit. They they go in pretty deep on that. Well, I mean, I guess I would say this. Generally, on the criminal side, when I've represented folks, it is because they have not filed tax returns. Correct. Or they have just overtly lied, understated income, or didn't or overstated deductions, or did something that would be uh, just patently fraudulent. Yeah, the IRS only cares that you report your income. They don't care what it is. They just want you to report it. 
right? And yeah. if you don't, um, that's the, the crime. Not paying your taxes, no big deal, right? You just make payment plans. If they can't collect it in 10 years, it just kind of goes away. No, that's but, a good point. So if you can't pay your tax, like, I mean, we, I've talked to you about this before. It's like there are people out there that just never file tax. It's big like trouble. Yeah. They just sort of live off the grid and and sort of go go through life. And I've had them in my office. I'm just like, listen. Come hey, clean. What'd you, what was your income last year on your tax return? They just crickets. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, did you file a tax? How about the Define file. Mm-hmm. Define file. <laughs> so I'm a little bit uh, late in that one. But uh, I always sort of thought with the Trump thing, it, it was more about trying to show that he was greedy or that he was uh, – uh, that he didn't pay taxes and that's somehow bad. And, you know, this is another thing. So I, I've been wondering. Well, Steve, real quick, here's uh, Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan district attorney, is, quote, looking for extensive and protracted criminal conduct at the Trump organization, including possible bank fraud. All right. So here's what they're talking about there. They're talking about, they're talking, bank fraud is whenever you put something on a bank application that uh, isn't true. So, I mean, it, it, it comes down to the minutia. Last time we had the big mortgage, like we went through so many bank fraud cases over in federal court because the federal government had to blame somebody on all the bad policy that ended up with the, with the housing Can't be court. their fault. Yeah. And it, like, <laughs> I remember even back in the, like in the early 2000s, like getting a mortgage and they would just say, I'll oh, just put down whatever you want. You know, just write down your- The glory days of 06, 07. Oh, oh yeah. that was unbelievable. It just like, oh yeah, put it down. You know, that's fine. And are, do you need any document? No, we don't need- As a general rule, if you're, uh, if you're getting that tax return, if a CPA is asked to provide that, or an attorney is asked to provide that documentation to the bank, we have our ethical responsibility to sign off that we've done all the proper things for that. Meaning you as the accountant. Yes. We have that responsibility. So we're taking, I guess, that responsibility to say this is is legit. Now, can the client lie about something, say something is something when it's really is something else? We would not know. That is, that can happen, but generally it doesn't. But in something like, again, I wouldn't. I don't care if it's Trump, and I don't care if it's Biden. I don't care who they're looking at a tax return for. The question is, why are they, and why would a prosecutor be looking at that? Right? It's I'm equal opportunity on that. Right? What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is because they hate Donald Trump. Well, that, I mean, my that God, could what be could they true. be looking for now? It's been five years. Well, oh I don't God. know what the statute of limitations is on those things, but if he, if I think allegedly he put down false values for what things are worth on the bank application. What's his upside for doing? Oh, oh on a bank application, yeah. right? So he can use that as collateral to get more Correct. money, right? Correct. Which, which could be the case, but again, but you're in that gray area. Like, what's the estimated value? A lot of things are subjective, right? right. Yeah. And because you know, in his accounting historically, everything's reported as you know historical cost. But sometimes when you do an application, they want to know what your property is worth. Well, you make your best guesstimate of what that is, and yeah. that is what it is. They and do their own look at that anyway. So the bank has the culpability as well to kind of verify that. Like, don't blame it all on the client. I can put down I'm worth $100 million. Well, they have to check that. And if they don't check it, well, that's – they've got to say, well, that – your application now can't be approved because there's not enough – value there. Oh, well, let's go back and look at that. Okay, we'll so, write. So shouldn't some of those banks be culpable in the housing crisis when they're giving out loans It's to never people? the banking's fault. Never. Well, look, the I housing know. crisis is I a never. whole different game because what happened there is this. You had, uh, I did a deep dive into this. So what you had going on is a, a claim, uh, property values and housing prices started to rise. And there was a reason for that that we'll get to. Once they started to rise, then 
fewer people could afford to get a conventional mortgage because the cost of a house that was 100000 is now 200000 and that, that's that's a oversimplified example. So then people try to get mortgages, and you know, then you have Bill Clinton coming along, and even Bush, and all the people. It's like everybody ought to own a home, you know. Everybody ought to own a house, and you know, and so they started to do a dive. Now Congress then, and the federal government says, well, you need, we need to push for equal lending. So there is discriminatory lending practices, blah 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 blah. And in order to address that. Uh, they sort of pressure banks to give loans to people, except there's these, there's the 30 year fix had been around for, you know, Lord knows how long. I mean, it'd been working for how many years and it was sort of a tried and true method of standards of, uh, of underwriting. You had to have a certain income, you had to have a debt to income ratio, you had to have a house that was appraised. I mean, it all worked except not everybody could get a loan. And the problem became, uh, they needed to get the banks to lend to people outside the 30-year fixed. Well, how do they do that? They put some pressure on them, and people would say, well, how do they put pressure on them? Well, if you think that banks aren't heavily regulated by Congress, you're crazy. They are. I mean, right down to where you can put a bank, you have to get Correct. approval. You have to get permits and approval and everything else. And then you have uh, a whole other organization like this. You can probably tell I hate the government. But then the government gets involved in this private affair using something called Freddie Mae and Fannie Mac. And there's another one now, right? There's a there's a whole third one. But anyway, there's uh, it was just like this pseudo half government entity that's in the mortgage business. And what they do is they buy paper, they buy loans from banks based on certain credentials. So b- they said, look, we'll buy your paper. Don't worry about it. And they start buying up the paper. Banks are like, well, that's freaking awesome. I can loan to whoever, and I'm going to just sell it to Freddie Mae and Fannie it's Mac. Not my and problem now anymore. Now it's off to the races. So I'll bend the rules. I'll give a loan to whoever wants one. Government's going to buy it anyway, so I haven't lost anything. And um, and off we go. So now they have uh, the banks drive a truck through that little hole. The federal government's buying it up. There's virtually no underwriting. And then it just goes and goes and goes. And that drives housing prices up even more. And the next thing you know, it goes up to Wall Street. They start selling the paper uh, as at, or as um, investment vehicles. And they collateralize, they collateralize and they make them into uh, securities. And next, and it just goes crazy. Well, two things to note, three things to note on that. So the first thing that happened is the uh, because the real estate was rising so quickly, a lot of people will half the fun of rental real estate is you go buy a property for a hundred thousand, you put fifty grand in it, and now it's worth two hundred thousand. So you go borrow on that two hundred thousand. Yep. Well, what had happened is even though the property was only worth two hundred thousand, the bank would loan you one hundred twenty-five percent of that value. So now you're borrowing money on value right. that's not real. That's step one that happened. And then step two, the people would go and apply for a loan. And like on a 30-year mortgage, their payment's going to be two grand a month, making up a number. Well, now we can do a five-year um, ARM, adjustable rate mortgage, and we'll do it at first three years is at zero and the next couple years at 2%. So you could get that same house for, say, um, $800 a month. Well, after the five years, you built the house or whatever, your property tax catch up, now your loan changes to a, you're not just paying interest only, and now your payment jumps to $2,500 a month and you can't afford it and you're out. That's California in a nutshell. Correct. And it, it was everywhere. And well, that, that, so was, that was the, the second And the reason thing. that but, occurred is because of the incentive out of the federal government to uh, for banks to depart from the tried and true lending standards. Well, yeah, because it was that was viewed as uh, discriminatory to people who couldn't qualify for loans. So Correct. then the third so thing So what you're saying is a mortgage is a right? Oh, yeah, totally. Is that in the Constitution? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, hmm. it's a human right. right. So what happens then is, and it probably would have kept going, but what happened, how they p- 
packaged up these mortgage-backed uh, securities when they put them in the offering. Just picture like a 16-ounce glass of water and, well, let's call it, yeah, you had water in there and 15 ounces of it was perfect mortgages. Debt to equity was fine. The payment was good. The mortgage was locked in. Good credit, good borrowers. Everything was fine. And then somebody drops in one ounce of gas inside that group. So they package it up in this group and they drop one ounce of, gla- of gas in there. Well, that one ounce of gas co- contaminates everything. So the whole bucket or that whole um, offering was now toxic because nobody wanted that 1% of gas in there because it was they were going to lose on that. So they just stopped buying them and yep. they couldn't market or sell them. And then the Ponzi scheme came tumbling down. So those well, are the great three analogy. Factors. Those are that's what happened. Except then there's you have to look at you have to look at why some of this stuff occurred. You had people on the floor of Congress, literally banging the table, claiming discriminatory lending, and we need to do something about it. We need to get these banks to lend to everybody. And so the what they did is they incentivized it through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a, a decade, the same people on the floor of Congress banging the table saying. These horrible banks and these horrible Wall Street uh, uh, financial guys have, uh, have, and their greed, they have ruined our economy and we need to stop them. Same people, right? They took no responsibility. And all the while, like you had relatives of elected Congress members on the boards of Freddie Mae and Fannie Mae. You had, you had Congress folks getting loans from those well, organizations. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was so incestuous that it was almost uh, gross. And the same people who were calling for it were the same people who were impugning others, but not themselves. And you mean you mean they made money off that? So yeah. so here's a funny thing <laughs> that people don't realize that it, in context, banks are not there to loan money. Banks are there to make money. So you have to understand where they're coming from. So yeah. if you're going to tell a bank that they have to do a different program, the bank's got to hedge their bet to figure, well, how can I make money doing this? And the best way to do those package these mm-hmm. things up and sell them right. off. The bank still made the money because the bank wasn't really, I mean, they were if they were investing in that or they didn't get rid of all their toxic mortgages. Was it was it National City or whatever, you know, went down, you know, PNC took them over, whatever. They were they were having a big problem because they were over leveraged on that. I mean, they went to zero and like overnight. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the banks, that's what happened. But ultimately, the banks that figured out that we can leverage this some other way and it wasn't on their balance sheet, kind of like what they're saying Trump was doing. That's funny. Yeah. But- now, now, it's funny. I did a, uh, I, I read some studies on this, or a book on this, in fact, on why housing prices started to creep up to begin with. And the individual that did the study looked first at the cost of, of uh, sticks and bricks. So it's like, all right, so if you start on this day in time, the cost of material to build a house was relatively the same, even maybe even less than when the housing prices themselves were so high. So it's like it wasn't the cost of material. That hadn't gone up. That had maybe stayed the same or, or gone down. Um, and then he so then what's the other component of, of a house is the land it's built on, right? You've got labor. Yep. You, you labor got the you got the land. So you have to buy the land and you gotta put a house on it. And so what what caused that to go up? He tied it to the coasts and first to regulations restricting uh, building in in areas, so you they, so that's California. California yeah. had quarantined off areas where you, quarantine may not be the right word, but it had partitioned off areas we can't build for environmental reasons. We want to preserve the whatever. No, they, so yeah, they restrict the the space. So if you restrict the space, well, land is a commodity, and if there's right. less of it, it costs more. They stopped making it a long time ago, right. you know. So they did that long also time. on the East Coast, 
and then other areas where it happened were were like he he went through. I think it was in Kentucky, a very uh, high end neighborhood that would say like, all right, if you're going to build a house in our neighborhood, it has to be on at least three acres or whatever it would be. So again, there's they are they are through zoning restrictions, uh, making land more scarce. And therefore, the value of land goes up because it's more scarce. And don't forget, since like 1950-something until 2006, 2007, price of real estate houses really never went down. It was a very consistent couple percent increase per year, which is why people got into it because it was like, gosh, this has been going this way for 50 years. Let's keep going. That's how people lived in California when I was out there on the Central Coast. They would get the five-year arm, but yep. let me tell you what, it infected the social fabric of the entire— Oh, it's, it's Because not people started freaking out at four years, and they literally banked on that appreciation of the house. So they would get a condo, you know, overpriced. I mean, I couldn't buy a house, so it was out there. It was like—they were bidding wars on houses in California. Well, you could get a double-wide trailer that none of you would have as a hunting camp for two hundred fifty grand, and you wouldn't own the land, but you'd have to pay the taxes. That's how whacked out it was. The little house I was in, the landlord wanted $770,000. And I'm like, this isn't L.A. or San Francisco. This is Central Coast. This is BFE, you know. And then I figured out, then I, I went to people around who had houses. I'm like, how do you guys do this? And, and they're like, well, first you got to get an arm and you just pay interest only for five years. And then you get the appreciation. And out there, it was like clockwork. Mm-hmm. You know, like 20%. I mean, it was outrageous what these people... And then you just hopscotched up, but they're all mortgaged to the hill. They all had the big trucks, trailers. It's the American skis, way. We're good at it. The the boats. And they're like, we got good credit? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, get in it. And I'm like, hell no. <laughs> well, the Sorry. thing that's... What's weird about right now is that because the interest rates are so artificially... I don't want to say artificially, but they're very, being very depressed down. Like... You know, back in the mortgage crisis era of the 06 or 07, what, an average interest rate might have been, what, 7% or so? 5 to 7%, yeah. 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 Now, my God, you can get— 2 or 3%. Tops, and if you have an investment portfolio that you can borrow against, it's like, you know, less than 1%. I yeah. mean— Money's so, cheap right now. Right, and and nobody—in the old days, it was a long-term thing, your house. Now it's a short-term thing. Where can I live that's the coolest place for the least amount of price? I don't care what it costs because— the interest rate's so low. I don't have to put any money down. So we're in a kind of a weird cycle again. It's I don't know what that looks again. like. When I start hearing politicians say that it's unfair, that everybody should be able to buy a house, I'm starting to hear that again. And it's these just banks like college. Are, these banks are discriminating against uh, this or that or the other. It's going to happen again. I'm already seeing it. And then, you, you know, I just went through a loan. I, I had to get a, I bought a condo in the midst of this pandemic. And I was talking to- Were you doing to commerce a, when we were having a worldwide downturn? I had to downturn? sell my house. What is Imagine wrong with that. you? So I went through this right at the beginning, and I had to, I got a condo, and I was talking to my lender, and and these these guys, they're like, well, you know, just uh, just say your income is this, or just say that, or just say whatever. It doesn't have to be an audited statement. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again, here it's we on. go again, game on. It's like I gave him the numbers that you gave me. Well, here's the funny thing. So if you look back to you know whatever that was, 15 years ago the amount of paperwork you had to do to get a loan, I'm making up a number, but let's say it's like 50 pieces of paper that documents you had to have. Well, because we had a crisis, what they did is they added another 100 pieces of paper you had to do. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't mean a thing because it's still the same problem. It just looks And better. now it makes it harder. Like they're asking us as CPAs to sign off 
on paperwork for clients that goes to the underwriter that says, hey, if if your client takes out 50 grand out of their business, is that going to affect their ability to stay in business? Well, how do I know? Uh, but they can, can't get the loan without it. So now they're trying to put a paper fill in a file and put that blame on Yeah, they're just passing off liability. Seat, right? yeah. And it's like, well, um, it shouldn't. <laughs> Probably won't. Maybe. Uh, right? Who knows? Um, I don't know. Not me. I don't so they, here's another one. I hear this one all the time. It's like uh, Jeff Bezos or Amazon. They don't pay taxes. You hear that all the time. Well, these big corporations, they don't pay any taxes. What's the myth there? Well, most big, massive global companies, well, let's back up and say if they don't pay taxes, well, if you are legally allowed to not pay tax or you are legally getting a deduction that you're allowed to use, is that wrong to take that deduction? So I'll put it on a normal person. They go out and they go buy a house and you can generally deduct your mortgage interest. So it's just a little harder now because of the changes with the TCGA, the new tax cut that they put in. But let's just assume for a moment that you can deduct your mortgage interest. Well, you're allowed to do that. If you have a house and you say to people, well, I don't like those rich people or big megacorps, you know, take advantage of the tax code and they're abusing the tax code. Well, does that mean you shouldn't deduct your mortgage interest? Because if you're allowed to do it, why wouldn't you do it? And then they're like, well, that's different. Well, what's different about it? You have a specific piece in the code that says you can deduct your mortgage interest, deduct your property taxes, you get a child tax credit, you know, you get capital gain treatment if you sell a stock. That's the rules, and you're playing by those rules. Well, just because this other person is playing by the same set of rules and doing that because it's in the code, it's Congress writes the code, IRS kind of enforces it, and if you can read the code and you can do it that way, why are you upset with somebody if they're legally we're well, not paying tax. And, and, but it's, it, That's a valid question. I think the first question, and, the first thing you have to do is define what a tax is because people say they don't pay tax. Now, maybe they're saying they don't pay income tax. And, and maybe people that's true. People have no idea what they, they the don't tax know. They means. don't know. Yeah, they don't know. No. Because like you could pay, like if I don't have a job, I'm not paying income tax on my normal job. But I, if let's just say I'm living on investment income, I'm paying tax on that income. It, but it's not, it's not necessarily income tax. It might be capital gains. But it, so there's there's different buckets. There's like a, a sales use tax, which is a a commerce tax that's based on transactions. You pay a tax on that. You buy gas, you got to pay your gas tax. You buy right. some clothes, you got to pay the sales. So tax. to the extent Jeff Bezos is buying and selling things, he's paying tax on those, perhaps, but, but, but not income tax. Well, so income tax is paid on money you earn and you can earn money by actually being gainfully employed and that's called earned income and you got to pay that that is an income tax piece and there's a self-employment tax component to that like social security and medicare then you have capital gain tax which is based on buying and selling of assets which is you know stocks and things like that if you keep it short term you pay an ordinary income tax if you keep it long term greater than a year you pay capital gains tax it's a little more favorable rate you pay tax on Passive income, which is like uh, interest, um, rental property, uh, maybe some partnership interest that you have. There's there's different ways you make in, you may make income that's goes on your income tax return. So what these people like Warren Buffett makes always makes the joke that his secretary pays, which is funny that people call people secretaries these days, but that's okay. Um, that they secretary pays more tax than he does income tax. Well, that's probably true because Warren Buffett probably takes a salary of fifty grand. And he's got $70 billion in the bank, and the company pays for all his activities. So why does he need to take earned income? It's all in stock. His secretary probably makes $10 million a year. Well, of course she's going to pay more taxes. She's making $10 million a year. I mean, I don't know what she's but it's, making. But he's paying, other, he's paying things in other areas 
Well, his company, just the company generally. Alone. That's what I mean. Right. Like, generally, but but if they're smart, like are these other big companies in Stanley, they'll go and they'll set up uh, their corporate headquarters and they'll invert this money back and forth in Ireland where their tax rates like ten percent or whatever. Yeah. And they'll shift those income deductions all over the place, and they won't pay U.S. income tax to the extent. And Amazon does the same thing. Um, so they're legally avoiding tax because other countries don't have the same. They call it progressive, but it's really a regressive tax system. The more you make, the more you pay. So here, here's the fallacy of all this. Yes. If, if, and everybody says, well, we want uh, Amazon and Jeff Bezos. I just keep saying this because I remember these headlines. Oh, yeah. We want they should pay. He should pay tax. This is stupid. There's no corporate tax. We need more corporate tax. And I'm thinking to myself, well, Amazon is responsible as a cor- corporation for the payment of more taxes probably than – Possible, but they may not be paying income tax. I, right. I'm not talking just income. I'm talking up and down. How many How many do they employ and how much do they withhold for each employee? A couple hundred thousand people, yeah. And then how many, what about their goods and services or the goods that they sell and maybe sometimes services they sell? There is uh, there's sales tax on some of those things or a lot of that stuff. Most of um, and, and what do people do with the income they make as a result of Amazon? They go spend it on other stuff, sort of secondary. It's like it's part of the it, it all fits trickle into the down, big picture. Trickle down does work. Now, mm-hmm. if you're it's gonna real. say we're gonna have a quote wealth tax, which I've heard, which makes me sick to my stomach to even think about it. So wealth tax isn't a wealth tax. It's a it's a wealth theft. Redistribution so, of wealth. Yeah, they're gonna say, All right, you have ten million. Jared, that's too much. I'm sorry. You're gonna owe a ten percent a year of your wealth. Now we're not talking income tax, we're talking wealth tax. That means we're gonna go in and grab ten percent a year from you of your wealth. And this hasn't happened yet, but it's been proposed. And and what they're really saying is we're just going to take your money. Now, what are you going to do? You're immediately going to run to Ireland or <laughs> run somewhere. It's like, you're going to run to Glenn and Glenn is going to advise like, you. I've got a, I got a guy. <laughs> you're going to say no freaking way. Well, I was Let just me- going to say, Steve, so what would so what would Jared do in that Glenn in that scenario? What would you advise? In what scenario? So what? so say he has wealth 10 tax. million in wealth oh. and they're going to come after just on top of everything else, well, 10, you're going to have to become a an, you're going so, to come become an expatriate. Like the who's the other founder of Google, I think, and he moved to Kazakhstan or something. Oh, seriously? Yeah, that's a way he, to get around. And it. he didn't have to. He he got like ten yeah. billion bucks and paying any income taxes. He became an expat. Yeah, they'll so just leave. Just, right, they'll leave. So that's what people are doing all. So over what's place. next? Then what's next is you can't leave. So here, let me ask a question because this define what somebody what rich means. Well, I mean that's right; it's all relative. But but, but what do you think somebody who's rich? What do you think the top five percent? What do you think the floor of that? Like if you're rich, the top five percent. What do you think your household income would be if you're rich? Top five percent. Four hundred. Nope. Like household income. Household income. Say we got two spouses working. You're one not spouse talking about savings and assets. You're no, talking no. about like How the much top of the incomes. Year? I would say it top would be five percent. I would say it's a hundred thousand. About one hundred twenty-five thousand. What? Yeah. So that yeah. means ninety-five percent of the people yes. in this country make less than one hundred twenty-five thousand bucks a year. Now, when you get to the top one percent, how much are you making a year? Do you think is household income? The top one percent, I guess, is north of a million. No, it's probably around seven hundred thousand. All right. So now you go to the top point one percent. Now you're going to be making over a million. But I think there's something. I read this stat. I, I don't quote me on the numbers here, but it's something like there's whatever 600 people in the country that make more than say 500 million dollars a year, and they're literally under continuous audit. Yeah. So to suggest, as well, they should be because for them, how fun would it be? When I say fun, I mean I'm not that guy, but 
to say, if I'm making $500 million a year, for me to pay somebody $50 million a year to try to involve me in things where I can legally avoid tax, and I have to pay them another $10 million a year to fight the IRS to fight me for that, but I didn't have to pay $200 million in tax, I'm ahead. I'm not saying that's good, bad, right, or wrong. I'm just saying that's the game they would play. Well, a normal person doesn't get that option. You can't, you can't legislate away human nature. So if somebody tells me, I'm going to take something you have, the first thing I'm going to think is, no, I'm going to do whatever I can so you can't do it. Now, you can do it whatever I can legally, and I can do whatever I can illegally, and I draw a line there. A lot of people wouldn't, but let's say you draw the line there, and you say, all right, I'm going to do every lawful thing I can do if I'm one of these gazillionaires, like the Google guy you're talking about, to not let the government of the United States of America take my money. I'm going to go live on a boat. Because I can afford the biggest, I can afford a boat bigger than your biggest house. Live in the international waters. And I'm going to go live that way. And I'm going to fly in with my, remember we, we did an episode once on Bitcoin guy and, you know, he was doing sort of this. And it's right. like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to avoid this lawfully. And then the government's going to have the next response, which is, you're not allowed to do that. So immediately now we have impacted freedom and we have never lived in a country so far where you can't leave. And I, I stress this right. because it has happened. I, I stood at the wall in 1984. This is in East Germany, yeah. I stood at the wall with, and you could see the armed soldiers carrying machine guns or AK-47s probably, uh, and then they had turrets too. And I stood there and watched that. And those people couldn't leave East Germany. They weren't Because it was so great right. there. Right. We don't Remember want you to Remember the Disney movie the where best. these people got on the balloon and they flew yeah. over the wall right. and they did all that stuff? Mm-hmm. But yeah, they couldn't leave. Now, we've never lived in a country like that. But how far away is it? If you're going to say, you have to pay all these taxes, you're going to say, no, screw you. It's still a free country. I'm leaving. And then what's next? Is Bernie going to say you're not allowed to leave then? Or if you leave on your way out, we're going to pick your pocket, so screw you. And you're going to well, say, fine. They, they want your money. Pick my pocket, so, and then you'll never do it again. So the challenge is, is that, again, we we all recognize that you know we probably have to have some taxes because we have to have goods, services that we want that the government can provide, national defense, common good, you know, pursuit Correct. of happiness, all those things. What are, so we agree that there is X that has to be collected. Well, if you're a, a married couple and you're making $50,000 a year with two kids— you probably don't pay any income tax at all. So you don't even, and if you make prob- if you make less than $24,000, you don't even have to file a tax return to the IRS because yeah. that's your standard deduction, about 24-2 or whatever it is. You don't even have to pay tax. So we literally have probably 60 million people in this country that don't even pay any tax at all. Yeah. So now we agree we need to pay tax, but you're not going to make some people pay tax so when you make a buck twenty-five, let's say you're paying, say, ten, fifteen grand in tax, if you had to actually write a tax check like they had to do before FDR and actually <sighs> had to make a quarterly estimate, you, people would lose their mind. They would lose their mind. This right is, now this they withhold gonna... it, so you don't know. So right? now so you don't know. Picture you sacrifice everything and you're working your butt off and you went to school for whatever, or you're just having a successful entrepreneur because you figured it out, or whatever the case may be, and you're making a million bucks a year. And you've got to write a tax check of $100,000 a quarter. You physically write a check and go, well, there's a Porsche, there's a Porsche, there's the house, there's the lake house four times a year. Or there's the expansion on my business. How is that even reasonable to do that? Because that's a big number. And and so you make $50 million a year, you're literally going to write a $6 million check every quarter. And, and just to think that that's okay. So when you see these guys that are going to make a billion dollars 
and they have to write a tax check for now. That's only, dollars. and that's only on their income. So Jared, Jared runs a business. I run a business. You run a business. We have employees. And I have said for years, when I figured all this out, like day one, when I hung out my shingles, like, all right, I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to have to run a business. How do I do that? And you have to figure it all out. You make a lot of mistakes. You do a lot of dumb stuff. You realize you end up with somebody like you to help you make, not make those mistakes and do dumb stuff. Mm -hmm. And sooner or later, I, I learned something very early on. I learned that I had to have and pay these things called quarterly estimates when it was just I at the helm or just me at the helm. And then, then I, when I had employees, I was like, I said, all right, Glenn, I'm going to hire somebody. What's the going rate for this job? And you would say, well, you know, you got to count on X dollars for the, the salary, but then you need to have a budget for more. And I was like, what do you mean? I have to have a budget <laughs> for more. more. I, I'm only paying them X. And, <laughs> and so I, as an employer, you're paying taxes, not, not just on behalf of somebody, but in addition to on behalf of somebody. So you pay a tax for paying somebody. You pay a tax mm -hmm. just because you're paying somebody. It's just Social Security, Medicare, unemployment, workers' comp, and if you've got to pay benefits, it's, so it ends up being anywhere between an additional 10 to 20% on average that you pay when you hire somebody. And that's just what, that's what it is. I mm -hmm. mean, so you have to budget that. But when people say, well, this person gets $10 an hour, no, it really costs you about 12 bucks an hour to hire them. So they're getting $10 an hour, less the tax you withhold on their behalf. Well, they're not really getting 10 because Social Security is getting Correct. some money. But, but yeah. And then on top of that, like Jared has, how many, you got five over there? Five. All right. So you got five over there, five employees, that is. And so they're getting their salary, their wage. And- they know their wage is X dollars. You know their wage is X dollars plus, plus what you have to pay in addition to the X dollars. And what I learned about that, I learned that at the barbecue. I learned about the the employer tax. You're like, what? I the? was like, what? What do you mean? What? What even is this? <laughs> and that's a number that at least you know your employees to a point. And this just it's I, I, maybe it's petty. I don't know, but they can see the withholdings and what's coming out, what we're withholding, where it's going. Except they don't see that extra tax. They don't see so that, it. That's, no. a number, that's a number they do not know exists. So what they're right. doing now is um, some of the bigger employees are showing a, uh, a breakdown that says, hey, here's what we paid you. Here's all the re benefits that we paid you. Here's all the other taxes that we paid you. Here's the total, quote, comp that we Package, gave you. Package, right. But the employee has no clue what that means because they only look about what they get in their bank account. Right. They don't I, like know FICA? those things. What the FICA, FICA is that? Who the hell's FICA? And it's like it's a Ponzi I, scheme. Yeah. Is what it is. Sure it's is. Big, and so I, I there's a viral video on YouTube of this uh, young man getting his first paycheck. It's the classic. Oh my things. God! Like, and this, this poor boy almost started crying, and who's his dad's Rita? ragging him, yes. and his and his brother's ragging him, and then <laughs> he's like, "Man, who the hell's this Ficka?" <laughs> it's like you don't even like we didn't even have to have tax until 1917 or whatever. It was 1913, whatever. And yeah. how how did we survive without a tax? Well, I don't know how they did it, but now, heck, the rates were way lower. We now didn't than have an administrative to. state, right? Okay. So, and again, it's just what the. And again, we all agree we probably need to pay some sort of tax because we like fighter jets and I'm not aircraft carriers. I'm not agreeing to any of that. No, right. no, no. I like I like roads. <laughs> you got you got to like pay tax. Fire departments. No, this is, well, this is right. was it Shays Rebellion? This this goes way back. We used to have something called the Articles of the Confederacy before we or not is that what it was? The the first Constitution, uh, and I think it was the Articles of the Confederacy or something like that. And uh, 
it, it immediately became a problem. So the issue is how much federal power are we, the states, going to grant? So we're all going to agree to be part Very of this, small amount. this new United States of America, and we're going to give the we're going to give a national government certain power. And it was so limited that it went south quickly because what the federal government needed to do was pay off all the debt that they incurred uh, on be, fighting the war. So they had to pay back the bonds or whatever, it is, or however they had to pay their soldiers. So it ends up this big rebellion. There's a problem. Then they say, all right, so we got to go back to the table. We're going to write the U.S. Constitution, which is going to give the federal government a little bit more power uh, to do things like collect tax and and secure the country and provide borders and, and enumerate what they had to do. And then along comes Woodrow Wilson, I think, circa 1900s. And he just says, ah, we don't need that. I got an anymore. idea. It's like states, states aren't smart enough to run themselves. I can do it. So he creates these administrative these administrative organizations. FDR comes along, drives a semi truck through it, and then uh, LBJ, Lyndon Baines, Lyndon, Lyndon Baines Johnson, comes along in '63 after Kennedy was assassinated, and he not only drives a truck through it, he drives like 500 trucks through it, and he creates what he calls a great new society, which is yet to be great. But uh, and now the taxes have gone from zero to this exorbitant amount. I mean, it's insane. Well, People would lose their mind if they knew exactly how much money they're paying in taxes well, so, on everything, sales so, and everything. So remember, the the people that um, say the taxes should be higher, they generally don't pay any tax, which is kind of funny. No, it's, it's and kind so, of normal. And then when you ask somebody, hey, what, what, what tax, what's a fair tax? Well, it's generally m- more than what they pay is what they think is too much and less than what they pay is not enough. But no, I'm telling you, nobody knows their marginal racket, bracket. Nobody knows what they it's, pay in tax. It, you need a, and you they need just a freaking point, slide rule to figure right, it out. They point to somebody else and say, that person needs to pay more because they're driving a yacht and a jet or something. Well, they have no idea what that person's paying. What's reasonable? Again, that, that debate's going to go on forever, but you would be surprised how, what people think and when they're shown the facts of who actually pays the tax, they're like, well, 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 you, you know, well, you know. At, at, or like, they're shown the facts of like what the what people in Sweden pay or in Scandinavia. Which is very high. It's like on it, it, you get to the highest bracket at like $60,000 worth of income, and then it's like 50% or more. Remember, if you have huge natural resources like those, those countries just mentioned, you know, you have the ability to subsidize things because the state owns things, and well, so they can pay for things. And it's, it's really different nice. too, because the other thing they have that the other thing, the other type of quote socialism they have that nobody here is advocating for, is they at least appreciate that the wealthy are supporting everybody else, like the the, the Amazon, the, whatever their Amazon is, and, and a lot a lot of it is gas and oil and, and natural resources there. But the, they will not punish those people. They do not want to punish those people because their economy is held up on the stilts Correct. That, uh, that are built by the so wealthy. So they encourage it. They don't want corporate taxes. They want the corporations to flourish because they're the ones that are making it work. So there's a whole different mindset. There's it, a balance of that responsibility in the tax. But at the end of the day, if you've, nobody has ever gotten a job or got paid something from somebody who didn't already have money, like- we can exist by trading, right? We've always done that. You got a pig, I got a chicken. I'll trade you that, and uh, you know, well, my a pig's steak. worth more than your chicken. Right. Well, all right, I'll, right. I'll throw in some. My daughter's worth more than three chickens. Yeah. <laughs> I got a shiny blanket. I'll throw in there. And so, at some point, if you're trying to survive, you can barter, and you're really not going to achieve anything. But if you want to uh, thrive, you have to sacrifice time for money, when you have to put capital at risk. And if you do those things, commerce will happen. 
Nobody has to lose. It's a win-win for everybody. The rich person pays money. They take money out. They give it to somebody else. That person does whatever that is, or it's in a machinery, equipment. You know, people are investments just like equipment is. It's and it's you know it's even more important with people because those are a tool to help whoever that is that's hiring them to do what they need to do because everybody wins, right? So everybody. I got a, I got a tax question. Yes, uh, but real quick, point of fact: top one percent last year is five thirty one household income. Uh, top five percent is two seventy. In the United States. All right. Uh, so when the federal government rakes in uh, $4.25 trillion in taxes, that doesn't include local and state, does it? No. Right. Think of how much money is in this country. And then think about the Social Security and Medicare tax. Think about the sales tax. Think about the inheritance tax. All these. There's a million of it. And like I said, people just don't know because they're used to it. Only time people know about taxes is when an event happens, like they inherit money and they bullshit. Right. And they're like, right. who am I paying this? And like, right. well, that guy's not paying. Yeah, trust me, they're paying They're paying money. Now, the funny thing is uh, Musk, he doesn't, uh, he takes like no salary. Like he might be the second richest guy in the world, but he has no income. All his money's tied up in the stock. Yeah. Right. And he can't even touch it till like five years. He's like, He's he probably has less cash in his bank account than all of us combined. And there's which a, is crazy. And this is what this is a what billionaire. is mm-hmm. so screwed up about this proposed wealth tax is it 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 includes in the, this is going back a year since I read it but they were including in their proposed wealth tax things like your assets, so your house, your your investments and your um, maybe even some real or uh, personal property. So they would do an evaluation and then quote, tax, you mean taking, take some of that. So if I'm going to have to pay my wealth tax and I don't have cash sitting around, well, I got to sell something. And if I start selling my stocks in my company, what's that going to do to the stock price of the company? If the owner of the, or one of the the founder of the company or a huge stockholder of the company starts laying off shares to you people. You can't do that. You can't do <laughs> Right. It's a mess. So it's a total disaster. It would be a top-down tumbling of the entire economic structure or People like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, these these they're leaving. They're not going to do it. They're going to say, "Screw you, I leave. I'm Musk, done." Musk like, left California. He's like, "I'm out." Joe Rogan, they leave California. I mean, tap out. Why yeah. would you stay there if your top bracket's right. 12, 13 percent, whatever? On top of what it is, the biggest, uh, I think, in my opinion, the worst tax out there is is property tax on yeah. your real yeah. estate. It's unbelievable. I we just had a pandemic, and a lot of clients and myself included, you get the value of your house increase for the yep. year thirty percent. How can you raise my property taxes thirty percent when the whole world just blew up, and here's, then you tell me that I can't even challenge? I mean, how is that even reasonable? Here's, here's how this is happening: that's unconscionable. Property values right now are th- residential are through the roof because there is no supply. So right now, if you're a realtor, like you killed it during the pandemic, oh, yeah. but now you got nothing to sell because there's just no product. People, you know, the interest rates are low. Everybody wants to move, but there's no houses for sale. And so your house value now is going to be higher, but it's, 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 it's it never fake. goes it's down though. I'm concerned down. that my uh, local, my property taxes are going to outpace people can, it's going to devalue my property. I won't be able to sell my house. Correct. Because they're going to look at that tax bill and go, you got to be kidding me. At some me. point, it's not. But you can go to the Board of Revisions and, and challenge it. I've oh, you it. can. Yeah, but... I have. And guess what? I, I got some snot-nosed intern, and they never got back to me. And oh, I had all that. the data. <laughs> I it did was... it, man. I went down there. I had a, I had a hearing. 
And it was like in an office, but there were three people there. And uh, one of them, I could tell one of them didn't like it. She was she was on the teacher's board or something. She didn't and like she it comes at, all. at you the most. Yeah, she mm-hmm. didn't like it at all. And I finally was like, listen, I bought the building for this on this date. That was like six months ago. And it's 200000 less than what you say it's worth. And it was crickets. So if they don't you want to know the value of what the building is, maybe it's what the fair market price was six months ago. That's crazy talk. I won. I won. Yeah. And because they had it valued so ridiculously sure. high. But and, remember, they blanket this out there. So if only ten percent fight it, ninety percent are going to pay it. They don't right. care. That's free money. Right. I won that one. I went home and did my other one. I did my house. Yep. And you know because look, here's the other thing that drives me nuts, is that if, from a business standpoint, if this is, we'll get we'll talk about minimum wage then because all of a sudden like Jared you got a business and you know what your business expenses are they are they are certain fixed expenses maybe some variables but you, you have an idea of what they are and you operate at a certain margin that lets you keep the doors open and my building was like that it's like I'm not I can't pay cash for this building I've got a I've got a debt on it and I got to keep it going I got to rent it for certain things and do what I do it's just it was better to do that than go rent space on the open market because rent was high and so now you have this now they want to raise my taxes. And I'm, I'm looking at them, it's like, look, if, if this is the case, I can't afford the building. And they, it's like they, don't, they have no pers- conception of how that could be. I'm like, look, if you do this to me, it's not like I am sitting on a pile of wealth that I've been hoarding. In, 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 but they believe that you are. They, 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 they believe, believe that. that you are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, so, so Jared, sorry, you got to pay now everybody a minimum wage that's $5 more than what you're paying now. In actuality, it's more than that because you got to pay the government to hire them at that rate. So how much is that actually to you, Jared? Well, I mean, Glenn said it before. He had stated that the employees are an investment. You are investing in the company. Um, where I'm at right now in the retail industry that changes daily. And if you're not there, I have one employee that's in the National Guard. And uh, he just got deployed a couple times. He's got his... He'll come back and literally have to be almost retrained right. because there's new product things. You know, I mean, that, there's where is this at? I've got so many parts and pieces that it takes almost like a month. Okay, and I always have to have X amount of people on the floor. Well, that means those X amount of people are still there, and when you're training a new employee, they're there too. So they can't be. You know, I mean, cause it's depending on the shift, two to three people. Well, if there's got to be three people on that shift and you got to train somebody, you got four people, you know, and right. you're running, you're and, and you're running right. that, you're running that for the month, mm-hmm. you know, and so it is an investment and you want to be, if nothing else, you give them that month and you give them a trial period. You can say, listen, I've got, you know, we'll start you out at X after 30 days, we'll reevaluate it. Bump you up to you know what I mean? Cause then I can bump you up. Cause I know you ran, you know I mean? You ran that month. So let's say you ran them even at 13. Because that's that's where I'm at, but to start, I yeah. mean I'm almost right. there. Right. But, but well, and I have been talking about this, and I've been talking about it with my accountant for years. That to myself, I've been trying to ease myself into it to where the business can run at that with this amount of people. But the problem with that is, what about the guy that's worked for me for six years to get to that point? Now is he going to get a raise? Because that other person has got a forty percent raise, you're going to give that guy forty percent. Because is he worth more? Because I, you know, I've got guys be six, eight point. years. You know, it's going to be right. like now. And you know, it's I don't have a high revolving door, but the the employees that I have brought in and left have all left for 
Some of them are going through college, you know. And once they, you know, I mean, once they get to a point, you know, I mean, they're they're gonna have to move on. Uh, and another one that was working with his father, and and uh, I'm an entrepreneur. They had their own business. It grew. He gave me it was the best. He gave me a six month notice, which is awesome. You know what I mean? That's in, respect in, right in, there. In six months, yep. you know, and and so that gave us time to train somebody, bring somebody in, and replace them with it. Remember, this minimum wage is not it's not a career. It's it's basically an entry-level position where somebody generally doesn't know it. Now you have to teach them. And then as they get better and smarter and more productive, if you're a smart business owner, you're going to recognize that and pay them more. But you can't just bring somebody in and pay them X when they don't know anything. And you have to teach them. And the person that's been there for five years, in your case, or six years, how do you justify they had to rise through the ranks to get to where they're at, and now this person's starting perhaps at the same rate or just a little bit below. How, how are they going to feel about that? So now you got to pay them more. Where are you going to get the and, money? And oh, it you drops the, the morality oh, too. The, the you know ripple I mean? effect the, the, the of whole that. Ripple, well, because I have always told people this too. I, you know, I said, look, it's pretty easy to work for me, but I got two major rules: don't steal. If you steal, I'm going to fire you. Don't be late. Don't be don't be late, and. uh Number three, don't tell anybody else what I'm paying you. Those are some pretty tough rules. I don't know how you can have anybody work for you with that. Uh, that's pretty strict. But, I mean, that's pretty strict. But that's kind of it, too. I always right. said that. Because if somebody does good or we hit some numbers somewhere and I give one guy a bonus, that's between me and you. Correct. What's on your paychecks between me and you. You know what I mean? So so I don't let anybody anybody roll on that. Well, here's what's interesting. I have I have... I've watched you interact with your employees. Well, I'll get, I'll get and, down to one more thing, and then we'll okay. get off of it. Because this is this is where I could lose on, on, the, on the minimum wage. I had one employee, great guy. He worked at Olive Garden, right? And he was actually a, you know, considered a management line there at Olive Garden. And uh, he was a customer of mine. And he'd come in and come in. And then I got him to pick up part-time. You suckered him in. And, and then well I was done. able to go like this. And I sat down and I said, so what are they paying you? You know, you tell me. And I was like, I'll give you this. To work for me and he was like this and i was like and he's like well i gotta give him two weeks so i was like no i prefer you do that please keep you know, things going mm-hmm. but you know what i mean but that gave me the ability to give him a better position than washing dishes and and working the grind because i know what it's like to work in that industry to where he could come and put on a nice shirt and he and he was great with customers and he was good in sales and i knew that he was going through pharmacy school good news on that i knew that was a seven-year program you know what I mean? So but he, so, so I knew I had him for a while. But that gave me the ability to be able to get him. He felt better, and everybody moved up. Yeah, and in this is the value. This is where these minimum wage proponents don't get it. Because my first job that uh, my not my first, but an early job of mine was banging nails, framing houses, and I showed up. I didn't. I you know I had some experience like a, my dad in the garage cutting some wood on a table saw and stuff. And I'm you were just handy. holding a flashlight, admit yeah, it. But you I, doing yeah, I was a flashlight guy. Told that tape measure here. Put this in your. Yeah. Um, bang that nail right. over there on that board that right. doesn't matter. Measure. Yeah. So it. Uh, but I had a little bit of experience. But I showed up and they're like, uh, "All right, we'll hire you." You know, we and it, I don't even remember what they paid me, but it wasn't very much. And my first job was to move that pile of wood from this place to that place, and then sooner or later I. I, they, since I could stack up wood nice and neatly, they started to let me cut it. And then if I could cut it straight, they let me do something more. And then I got a raise. And then, and then I got another raise. And then they said, well, why don't you come back next summer? And, you know, I learned and I could do the trade. Now, if I came in at the same price as the guy that's been there 10 years who could already do those things, they're not hiring me. 
they're going to hire the other guy from some other company, maybe for even a dollar. They're going to like if they're going to waste that money, they're not going to do it. I get no experience. I do. Ne- I never learn a trade, and it results in more unemployment. Which because I can tell you what's less than un- less than fifteen dollars is zero. So no job is uh, is zero, and having a job for somewhere in the middle of that is what we call like entry level experience. And if you don't get entry level experience, then you raise nobody above the poverty line because then these people aren't going to like you can't just magically tell Jared, uh, Jared, now you just got to pay people all five dollars more. No big deal. You have it. And he doesn't. You know, his business operates at a percentage margin that has to work. Otherwise, it won't work. So you have to remember that there's a there's a, an implied contract that says I'm willing to pay somebody X. And are they willing to do this work for what for that same X? And if they are, everybody's happy. We don't need anybody else to tell us anything about that because that number could be higher, lower, whatever. Um, it's the value what you're getting out of your your employees, your teammates, of how you want to do it. And most companies that I know of, they always end up paying their employees better than they would get somewhere else because that's how you keep good people because they're an investment. If you go in and pay everybody the bare, bare minimum, you're not going to have a lot of good people in there. And so by forcing companies to do this is probably not the best choice. The market will fix it. The market will adjust to it. Yeah. And you just saw now where Costco is raising the rates up even higher than minimum wage, which is great. But again, that means I just have to pay a higher membership fee to be a yep. partner there because they just raised my membership. Yeah, so five the cost bucks. of goods and services goes up. Correct. And then here's what else happens. It's like they are what they're doing is they're setting a bar for themselves that they know they can make so the government doesn't get in their way. And they're probably going to set that bar in a, in a way that's going to put all the mom and pops out of business because they can't match it. So now you have like there's 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 always collateral damage to these things. So if Costco Costco can pay more, they'll just charge you a little bit more because they have so many customers. So ten cents a customer, you know that'll that'll make it up. But if you're a vape store like Jared's that that isn't that can't compete on that level, he gets stamped out just by a minimum wage or just by Costco sort of setting the bar. So well, you're doubling his wa- his labor costs if he's at minimum wage right now. But here's what nobody's really talking about, and this is really Nobody the in Ohio is paying Ohio minimum wage. No, they can't. There's they nobody would, would you, 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 wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't get anybody hired. So, right. I mean, the average hiring price, I would have to say maybe I'm wrong, it's $10 an hour. That's that's minimum, about 10, that, minimum, right, yeah. that, right. that's about the minimum starting point anywhere, and that and I'm not even there. I'm higher than that starting now. Right. I mean, for, I've got guys now that have worked with me eight years, but you know what? They're not getting an hourly. They're 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 on a different bracket. Right. Yeah. So here's the funny thing: is like I'm going to run for president next year, and I'm going to make minimum wage a thousand dollars an hour, and you need to vote for me because I think that's a fair wage. Because if you can make a thousand bucks an hour, you can rise everybody wherever they need to be. So mm-hmm. let's raise it. What? 15 bucks are really, you're going to expect a family, a person to raise a family at 15 bucks an hour. What kind of arrogance is that government? Why don't you make it like a hundred bucks an hour, a thousand bucks an hour? What? 15, that's all they're worthy of? To Oh, so now it's really not about the money. It's about something other than the money, right? It's about the control because if 15 bucks is really that enough to have it's, buy a house pay raise virtue, a family? Well, it's, I don't know. it's rhetorical well, virtue, how about right? It's just 30 bucks it's like we're 50, saying this to get 100. votes. And and here's the other thing that people have to understand is that I was in the 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 top 5% and the bottom 5% or maybe even the bottom 10 and the top 10. It's a very fluid category. It's not always the same people. So if you're if you're in the bottom 5%, imagine who that is. It, it you know it, it's probably like my son, who makes whatever dollars an hour at at uh, at uh, Big Bear or uh, Giant Eagle, um, 
and lots of kids like him, 18-year-olds getting experience, not making that much money. They're not, they're not necessarily on their own yet. They're sharing apartments. They can do it. They, they, they're able to do it. But soon he will be out of that because he'll presumably either get experience at his job or uh, get, more get a better job and, and use that experience to, to advance. And somebody else will replace him. So you never really want to get rid of the bottom 5% because it's a pretty – you just want people through it as fast as they can. It's the it entry them. level. Now, it the trick is to say, all right, those people who are stuck there, which is only a small percentage of the bottom 5%. Not very many. That's where the programs ought to look if you are going to have any programs. And I hate programs. But it's like that's where you need to look. And and then the solution is probably not just give more money. The, anyway, the, the idea is that in, – in the same in the top 5%, this is relevant. I know you got to go. But if I inherit – or if I sell my house this year and I've had it for 20 years and I, and I, I have a $150,000 profit on it, uh, or say I had it, or if I have a one-time deal like that, that's going to put me in a very higher income bracket for that year. I can inherit money. I could, I could, something's going on my tax return or some event will happen that will say for that year, I had a big year. Uh, but next year I'm back down or, Whatever it would be, there are lots of things like that. So even the people at the top, they come and go; they take turns. It's not like there's Correct. this this evil genius group up there that are that are manipulating everybody from above, and nobody has an opportunity to get up there. You, the 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 key here is that you you if you are still making less than minimum wage after a few x time frame, that's because either a you didn't try to get out of that. Or B, it's possible there could be no other jobs and you need that job, but you're, the whole point of life is to try to learn, get smarter, get better, learn another skill set to try to keep getting better at that. It, and if you get better at that, you will get paid more. You, you can right. do it. And if you don't like what you're making, try to start your own business and go that way. Yeah, there's, nobody is forcing you to do anything. You, you have the ability to choose. Hey, Glenn, before you go, just yes. uh, analyze this real quick. Let's so see. the Congressional Budget Office... Uh, has taken a look at, at the $15 minimum wage, and they looked at a period of 2021 to 2031 what the effects would be on the economy, and they say that uh, the budget deficit would increase by $54 billion, and we would lose approximately 1.4 million jobs. What the heck kind of math are they doing? Well, they're doing that fuzzy government math, but I would say that you could probably triple both of those numbers to get it to be the reality of what it would be. That doesn't sound like a benefit to society. Well, oh, and, no, that's good because. And, it's but here's help the thing. Here's the thing. We've had a minimum. People, say, people are going to say, "Well, we've always had a minimum wage, so why not?" The, the, when the fair market wage is more than the minimum wage, the minimum wage is irrelevant, right? <laughs> Correct. You know, for the if the fair right, market just like wage, what said before. The, that's it's what, like yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, when you all of a sudden artificially raise the fair market wage via a minimum wage above what it normally would be. So an entry-level position is 10 bucks an hour, and now we're calling it 15 Well, it's not <laughs> like you're just going to say, all right, great, I'll just pay 15 You're going to get fewer entry-level uh, employees. Right. And and if you're not going to be an entry-level employee, you're not going to get any experience, you're not getting experience, you're never going to get to the next level. And if you don't get to the next level, you're stuck in that lower percentage indefinitely. And if that goes on for another 10 years, now you're now you're 28 and you have no experience because nobody would hire you to sweep the floors in a oh shop God, where yeah. they were. They were. Uh, uh, I first, nobody taught I, I you just, to be on time and not I was, steal. I was yeah. just going to say, that's my God, it rules. just dawned on yeah. me. That's this is three dollars more or two and a half dollars more than my first professional job in the engineering industry. 
My my Good first God. job. That's I, what if you. That's, that's what thirty one thousand dollars a year. Yeah, thirty one. My first job. It was twenty. I got twenty five grand. I was happy. That was awesome. Oh man! And I had a chance for overtime, and I thought that was a great thing. I, I remember I made twenty five thousand. Man, I thought that was prior to that. Amazing. I was making I was making four twenty five at Wendy's, and the only reason why I worked at Wendy's because I could eat. My first my first <laughs> right. job, I got paid a no, dollar no. an hour to shovel manure, and I thought I was the richest guy there was. Yeah. Because I had no money, and I was right. willing to do that for a dollar. And I'm like, God, if I could just make two bucks an hour, right. I would be oh. so rich. Oh, my God. And so you just keep trying. You keep learning skill sets, and you right. keep going. Because you'll never get enough. Never. Because it, you have to make a living, but that's up to you to decide what kind of living you want to make. It's not up to the government to say somebody has to pay you something to do it. And, and money wow. and income, these are just representations of what you can alienate in the free market or what you can use for products and services and goods in the free market. So. It's not like if it's not like you're just going to magically put more money in people's hands because the money's going to have less value when you go try to buy the product because anybody who's making that product who all of a sudden had to pay you more is going to charge more for the same product. It it, it gets you nowhere fast. Now that's economics, and who does you understand? That's that. like that's like this no, is crazy. That's, crazy. This, that's like that's simple actually, economics. I bet you today an entry level engineering technician with a four year degree, an engineering degree, geological engineer. I don't think thirty-one grand is a salary that it'd be. It'd be like twenty-five, twenty-six grand. Correct. You, oh you, my god! I just I didn't do that math before on the fifteen dollars. I'm like, my god! You want to talk about separating and alienating people? Oh. If somebody goes and learns, like again, if you're an apprentice uh, electrician and yeah. you do that thing, you get you know nine years into it, and you're now making whatever twenty-five bucks an hour, and somebody comes in right off the bat and is going to make almost what you make and you don't get a raise and you have to teach them everything. Oh my Are you kidding? And me? they don't know. You're going to really hate those people. No, because so be ready. here's the problem. We're, we're not cow. all equal, right? We're not. We have equal opportunity, but I we're not equal. I can't do what you do. I cannot do what you do. I cannot, I couldn't do your job. And if you make more because you can do your job and I can't, well, then that's just God how it is. It. Well, that's and, okay. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you started before I did and I'm doing your job, I'm not going to make what you make. And it's not fair to say that I should. Because I don't have your skill set, and uh, this shows how much the legislators, the Congress, the lobbyists—how disconnected they are with the real world. They have no right. clue God. what real money is. Right. They're living they in fantasy world. It's all, and we just let them do it. We just let them do it. This is the final point, and it, it maybe just ties it all up. And here's the point: is it is always easy to spend somebody else's money. If it doesn't have any value to you, it's easy to do whatever you want with it. If I were gambling in Vegas. And uh, it was it was like, here you say, Steve, here's a thousand bucks. I'm going to go be reckless with that thousand because I don't give a crap. It's not my money. I didn't earn it. I didn't right. give my nothing for it. I didn't do right. anything for it. It was just given to me by you. I was like, oh, what a gift. And how many times have you done that where you where you won something or you, you won the scratch off ticket? And you're like, oh, screw it. Let's buy five more. And, you know, it's your money. Double then, down. But it doesn't. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Now, if you're in your pocket every time you lost. Then you, gets uncomfortable quickly. Your, your oh. pocket gets real empty. So when Congress, when the government, when others want to tax you more and spend more of your money, then it's really easy for them to do it. It's like, just look, give your kid a dozen golf balls and say, go play golf and see how many. He doesn't give a crap. It's like, it, whatever. The, the challenge that they're having with this is that it's the 1% on each side or the like 1% on one side is like, yeah, there there is definitely some struggling going on. And the 1% on the other side, yeah, they're probably corrupt SOBs as well. But the 98% in the middle, leave us alone. Let's do our thing. Don't legislate us on the extremes yeah. on each side. And if you don't do that, everything will probably work out. The most offensive thing I hear on both sides of political, both sides say it, 
Mm-hmm. It would be like, I hear one person, I heard one side say this to me the other day. It's like, oh, these people who voted for so-and-so, they don't even know that that person's not going to do anything for them. They're just going to hurt them. They're going to do blah, blah, blah. And then the other side, oh, those people who voted for so-and-so, they don't understand. That person will never do anything for them. And then I'm sitting here thinking, no, 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 you guys don't understand. I don't want anybody to do anything for me. Zero dots. Leave me alone. Leave me the hell alone. So the other scary thing about this is they lack bipartisan support, so they're just going to jam it through budget reconciliation, which even through that process, it doesn't qualify, but they're just going to do it anyway. Because that's how elitists think. They know what's better for us. We don't need these pesky rules. We'll just do it. We know what you should be doing. Yeah, we got it better. And can I leave you with one more factoid before Glenn? I love good factoids. So uh, you always learn history with Steve, right? That's a rule. So there's a fundamental orders. I don't know if anybody knew about that. Uh, The Dutch discovered the Connecticut River in 1614, but English Puritans from Massachusetts largely accomplished European settlement of the Union. The first formal constitution is the Articles of Confederation, 1781. 1789, they ratify the constitution after Shays' Rebellion, I think. But I got to dust off the cranes in my brain. All right. Well, there you go. We've got, uh, boy, we could probably talk to you about this crap forever. You're fun to talk at. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good. I got my, my, my talking face on. Oh, man. One other good factoid. If you want to go back to taxes, does, uh, there's the Ohio tax per gallon of gas uh, 38 and a half cents for gas and 47 cents per gallon on diesel. That's not a lot. Right. Rumble use gas used to only be a quarter a gallon. Jesus. All right. Well. Yep. If anybody wants, so a couple of just identify yourself, please. You've got an accounting firm, Harper Plus. Yeah, Glenn, uh, Glenn right Harper, here. the firm is Harper and Company CPA Plus, and uh, we just love helping people that uh, have entrepreneurs or people that have a complex situation. They want to know the why. They don't want just their taxes done. They want to know why and how things work. And we help transfer that knowledge and get them in the best situation. All right. Well, you got my vote, and you have for yeah. the last 25 yes. years or so. Well, thank so, you, Steve. All right. Well, this has been Lawyer Talk Off the Record. A couple things. We'll have, if you want to check out Glenn's bio or Glenn's information, what's your what's your website again? HarperPlus.com. And we'll try Harper to get you HarperCPAPlus.com. We'll try to get your bio up also on LawyerTalkPodcast.com. So send that over if, if you want it up. Uh, if you uh, have any thoughts or questions or legal issues you want us to cover here at the podcast table, you can do the same right there at LawyerTalkPodcast.com. Legal advice? Well, I do that too upstairs at OhioLegalDefense.com. Check out Jared's show with the comedians. It's blowing up fast. He was here till midnight. He's a little uh, groggy today, but he was here till midnight <laughs> last night recording with those guys, doing funny stuff. And He's not groggy. All right, never mind. Uh, he's just grumpy. Never. He's just grumpy. All right. Well, Certainly. Lots of good stuff Certainly. happening with comedians on South High. Uh, we are usually on Wednesdays uh, interfacing with the Blitz to answer phone-in legal questions, and we're going to continue to do that every Wednesday until they say I can't, uh, and we'll couple it with our podcast while we're uh, while we're at it. we got the ex-checker here, Jay Simons. We'll get his bio up if it's not already there. So this has been Lawyer Talk off the record, on the air, on the air, off the record, whatever it is, at least until now.